Today, I have three things you should be mindful of. Thing one, if this episode exceeds 30 minutes, I will be stunned. Maybe this is going to be the shortest episode of the entire series. Thing two, if you're an artist who feels awkward promoting and pushing and putting yourself out there and getting behind your own work and zealously pushing it forth, I have an admission from one of the biggest actors on the planet, which I suspect will give you comfort. Thing three... I want to talk to you mainly about men who cry because there's elements of it that concern me. I only realised that today. If ever I have had a I can't be asked to pretend episode, it's this one. So usually when I can't be asked, I have to G myself up and get myself into the zone. But today I was like, nah, sod it. You know what, this is episode 43. I'm in the home straight of my 52-week personal challenge, so there's got to be some episodes in there when it's just warts and all, and I just say it as it is. So, as you can probably imagine, today is going to be a beer episode. Unquestionably, beer episode. So... Cheers. How are you? Hey, it's CK. Welcome. Oh God, that tastes good. And thank you for hitting play again this week. It was really weird. I was like, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and get a beer before I start recording this week's episode. And it was as I was walking to get the beer, I thought... Dude, you set out on a challenge 43 weeks ago to release 52 weekly episodes of something and you committed to doing it and not missing a week. And the reason you committed to doing this is because you know, historically, you have had a discipline problem. So if you get to the end of this 52-week, you know, personal challenge, it would be remiss for there not to be some episodes which are just, forgive me, dog shit. <laughs> you just say it, it has to be what's and all. So don't worry about releasing a 30-minute episode when you try to do at least 50 minutes every week. If there's going to be one random episode that's 30 minutes, good. It's part of the challenge. That's the way it should be. And that was a very liberating thought. Very liberating. Because I think as humans, certainly as artists, we often impose these ridiculous farcical somewhat unachievable standards on ourselves when in reality nobody gives two shits i genuinely think and i mentioned this in episode which episode was perfection of my seven part series the bench perfection might have been episode six but there's a there's a bit in there which has been referenced by other people and it's i love the bit when you say us artists have remarkable arrogance assuming that anybody gives a shit and I, and I always forget that and it's surprising I forget it because I said it but you know what if I release a 30 minute episode you might be bothered you might not be in the greatest scheme of things within five minutes if you've been bothered you'll be you'll be thinking about other shit like time for a coffee time for a piss need a dump so I think we all need to remind ourselves that sometimes that if I put out a 30 minute episode with regret ck I know your ego can't take this, but the world will continue to spin on its beautiful axis. <laughs> so, once again, cheers to axes.
That was me chinging the microphone. If you missed it, there it is again. Today's beer is Sainsbury's IPA, 5%, um, 500 mil. So how are you anyway? You're right. I hope your week has brought you glee. And I have had a week not dissimilar to last week and indeed the week before which was mostly uneventful it's been a it's been a week full of stuff that I needed to do each of them competing against each other for my attention and my pro- my priority with regret there was a complete divide between the two the stuff that had my attention was paid client work the stuff that I would argue was a priority for where I want to be in the future was very much not that, but I couldn't not do it because I had a client work to do. And it was like, I felt this bizarre inner struggle when I was thinking, well, if that's the thing you want to do long-term, should you not be doing that? Fuck the client. <laughs> but that argument carried no weight because it was like, be that as it may, we're in a pandemic, be grateful for the work, write the scripts and get on with it. And that argument won out. So that caused a certain degree of, I won't say anxiety, I'd just say dissatisfaction in me because it was quite consuming work that I had to do for the client. And I was like, I've got to write these scripts for the ad, but I need to be doing this. And I don't know. It, it was just, it was been a full on three or so days, I suppose. And um, I'm not used to that conflict usually. Um, not used to it at all, but the client work was delivered today, as was the invoice. <laughs> That's important. Uh, listen, settle in because this episode is not planned. So, um, you're going to just get unfiltered me. There was something else I wanted to talk about as well before I cracked on. Oh yeah, that's it. Interestingly, despite the fact that the personal creative stuff that I want to do in the future has been very prevalent in my mind, in some ways it's taken a bit of a back seat because I think I'm growing bored of my own voice and seeing myself in interviews, which is weird because I never thought I'd see the day when that would be the case. But let me read a text message to you, actually, if I can read it. I, I, I was I was interviewed late last month for an interview that's coming out this week. In fact, it's come out this week and I got a text message from the interview saying the video is up. Where are we? Um, There you go. Yeah, so he sent me a text message saying there's the link to the video and I said, thank you. Then he said, have you watched it yet? To which I replied, I haven't yet, but I will. Because as I just mentioned moments ago, I've been torn between paid work and other stuff, future stuff. So I've not even got around to watching this video, but that is so unlike me. I can't explain historically how excited I've got over interviews or features or Q and A's or videos where someone's taken the time to give a shit about what I'm doing and has interviewed me and asked me great questions, been incredibly generous and like telling me that I love what you're doing. This guy did all of the above. Like this guy loves the bench 
he says it in the interview, CK, the bench, I love everything you do. I love 61 hugs. I love out there. I love I love that experiment you did in London when you stood in Soho on a busy London street and asked passing strangers if you can take them to dinner. But the bench for me, CK, is head and shoulders above. There's just something about that series that just speaks to me as a human. It reminds me of a show that I watched as a kid. The bench, I love it. I can't even tell you how much I love it. Then he just proceeded to ask me lots of questions about it. Now, usually that's the kind of interview that I'd be like, woo, get this on my website. <laughs> and I'm like, I've not even done that this week. And, I, and you know, I don't even know when I can be asked to do it. But that is so, so rare for me because, you know, I've been chiseling away at this content creator, writer, presenter, filmmaker game for years. And I've always appreciated when anybody anybody gives two shits and I've always been keen to get it out there and just keep on you know developing my I suppose press pieces and and you know all that shit but it's it's very unusual for him to be like oh I can't be asked despite how generous the interview was so it's very odd and, and I only realized that again when I was thinking of stuff to talk to you about today I thought well maybe tell them that you can't be asked anymore what's the point in living <laughs> that's the kind of thing when you if your favorite podcaster said that ck you'd appreciate it so, and, and you know what guys i've told you this before that's my only barometer when it comes to talking points that you know when i'm asking myself does anybody care about that the only way i can ever answer that question and it's not even definitive it's the only barometer that i can use that gives me any sense of direction i just say if your favorite podcaster told you that would you be engaged would you be interested would you be pleased that they shared it with you and when i was thinking does anybody want to hear the fact that you can't be asked to post interviews anymore you're sick of sight of your own face your voice is boring if your favorite podcast said that would you be interested and i was like yep so cheers again (laughs) ah you are of course at liberty to send me a direct message and say no mate i switched off exactly at 10 minutes 30 when you started talking about not being asked anymore see you next week for episode 44 ck is it episode four what episode is this one actually you know i like to keep a tally what number am i on um you've certainly switched off at this bit jesus christ Yes, this is episode... No, this is episode 43, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe I said that earlier. I don't know. It's late. By the way, time check. It is Thursday, the 12th of November, 10.45. It's quarter to 11 in the evening. And this will be coming out, as usual, when you wake up Friday morning. If you're new to the podcast, my name's CK, and I release a podcast every single Friday morning, UK time. I don't know where you are. Um, But, no, it's been nice. It's it's been um, nice getting myself disciplined up so as far as that interview is concerned where this guy is so kind so generous so i mean he even sent me a text message before the 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 night before the interview he sent me a text message saying i'm watching out there which is a short 30 minute documentary i made when i was in san diego last year and i and i sent him a reply saying but you've, i thought you've already watched that and he went i have i'm watching it again just to prep for tomorrow's talk he's watching my shit again and here i am saying there's such a, it was a really interesting interview what did i talk about in that interview i spoke about how 
at school, because he asked me to introduce myself to his viewers, and he says, well, you know what? At school, there's three things I was never great at. I was not the smartest kid in school. I wasn't I wasn't stupid by any stretch, but in terms of intellect and book smarts, I would say I was bang in the middle. Bang in the middle. Not exceptional, not dog shit. And I was not the kid that was best at sport. And when it came, the third thing, when it came to the boys that the girls were talking about and who they fancied and thought was cute, I was never part of that conversation. But there is one area that I've always excelled at throughout school, throughout college, university, now into adult life. This is the one area which has helped me create content that people love. And that area is, you'll have to go onto my website to watch that. (laughs) No, I'll not be that guy. The one area that I've always excelled at is my imagination and ability to craft an engaging story. That's just something that I work on unquestionably. I don't think it's something that just I just plopped out my mum and I was great at stories. Like it's something that I've tried to figure out and I've learned and I've refined and I'm continuing to do so. I'm fascinated by story craft. I'm fascinated by how to hook people in quickly. So, you know, that's one area where I've always excelled and that has certainly contributed and informed me being able to produce content that people occasionally enjoy I suppose and then we start talking about more it was actually an interview that focused on my creative filmmaking as well as my PR projects which was interesting so I've never spoken about my PR work in an interview before but this guy he works for a business and the, and, and the interview series is very business focused, but he loves my creative stuff. So I said, well, see, I'm going to crowbar in your creative stuff because I love it. And I think people will go away, find it and enjoy it. But I also want to talk about the PR and how small businesses, large businesses, entrepreneurs, brands can use PR to elevate their profile because that's what you do, CK. So there was a lot of that. So if ever you've thought, what's this PR that CK is talking about? This is the interview for you. And I'm, I will get it on my website at some point in the next millennia. (laughs) I can guarantee it will be up before episode 44. So you can limit your field of expectation to at least seven days. It'll be on my website at some point in the next seven days. But in the meantime, you should still go onto my website, ckgolding.com. Some new stuff on there recently. Some never-before-seen interviews, and yesterday I uploaded my interview with BBC journalist and presenter Ellie Flynn, who is renowned for her undercover investigations for the BBC. And this week, her latest documentary exploring emotional abuse within relationships was released on BBC One to much to much discussion, indignation, and shock of the Twitter community, which I get is not representative of the me, the population at large by any stretch. But yeah, Twitter went, Twitter was a light with this documentary. And Ellie and I have spoken before. I interviewed her earlier on this year for one of her other documentaries. And this documentary, as I said, I mentioned this about three or four episodes ago. I would argue the best thing I've watched all year. It's an exquisite short documentary, 60 minutes. It's on iPlayer if you've not, heard about it or watched it it's called is this coercive control and as i say it's exploring emotional abuse within relationships and it's stunning it's beautiful it's excellently written excellently acted and it explores so many necessary 
areas. I can't recommend it highly enough, but go on to ckgolden.com. It's an Instagram live interview with Ellie and I. And, um, yeah, I, I welcome you to check that out. Mm. So let's talk now, seeing as I've just started talking about PR and stuff, actually, I might as well talk about what I mentioned earlier on. So I think I've mentioned Chris Evans, British radio presenter, broadcaster, and TV presenter. If you're not from the UK, you might not know that's who Chris Evans is. He's um, He made a shitload of money in the 90s, bought a radio station, sold it for millions, and um, he is a breakfast presenter on one of the big stations in the UK. He has a podcast called How to Wow, which is all about how great, talented, smart, successful people got there. And this week, he was interviewing Matthew McConaughey, who's just released his new or first book. The book is called Green Lights, and it's all about how in life you are always going to experience downs and slopes, but your job as a human is to do all you can to have as many green lights as possible. And green lights is when you're coasting, things are going brilliantly. So like you're rolling down a hill quick and everything's going exactly as you'd like it because you can guarantee that you're going to hit the red lights when things are shit. So you should always be going for the green lights. That's me summarizing the essence of the book. I've probably screwed it up completely, but that's what I've gleaned from it in the two interviews that I've listened to. So in this interview, one of the final talking points that they have just it was just so joyous for me as an artist and as a publicist who has to PR and promote my own work. It was so comforting to listen to something that Matthew McConaughey said in this interview. And I was like, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's not just me that's shameless. It's not just me that's the shameless self-publicist. This is what I needed to hear. And this is what I need to share on the podcast for any artist or independent creative that listens to this podcast because... I don't know if you know this yet, guys. Let me see if I can find out what episode it was. But in episode 37, in episode 37, I announced that I'm writing a book. And that book is going to be effectively a hand manual for all independent creatives on how to get your work noticed, seen, and picked up by influential websites, newspapers, magazines, TV, radio, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's all based on techniques that I've figured out, learned, stumbled across, repeated and seen it work over and over again in how I've myself got my work noticed and featured. And I'm still on that journey. I'm still nowhere near where I want to be. But, you know, I know for a fact that these techniques and tips are repeatable and relatively easy to execute so when I was listening to Matthew McConaughey saying this as one of the biggest actors it was just so refreshing because I do think he's into how can I put it he's into um how can I put this in a way that makes sense he's very into word craft and how two words can be put together in a way that's not going to create a splash or two words can be put together in a way that is going to create a splash. And that is very much how I see my job as a guy promoting his own work. I have to figure out, okay, so this project I'm releasing in of itself, nobody cares about it other than me. So I have to find something. I need to find a universally relatable truth in this project that is going to get people's 
get into people's hearts, mind and soul, right? Now, I know that sounds all very fluffy and utter, utter bullshit, and you might be right. Maybe it is. But I've listened to a few Matthew McConaughey interviews, and I think he's into poetry, and he's into word structure, and he's, and he's into lyrics, and he's into how certain things and word assembly can just connect with people. So in this interview with Chris Evans, Chris picks out a moment in the book when Matthew admits that one of the most recognizable terms surrounding Matthew McConaughey that all the media, all the press use, he actually invented it because he wanted, he thought it was cool and he thought it might catch fire and it did. So what the term is, and I hadn't really heard of it until this, until recently, it's called, um, the, what's it called? Is it called the McConaughey, McConaughey, hang on, reconnaissance? I think it's called the reconnaissance and the reconnaissance is basically a, a term that Matthew McConaughey just threw into an interview, hoping it would catch fire. <laughs> and it did. And basically he, after releasing rom-com after rom-com after rom-com, which is how he made his name, he got bored of releasing rom-coms and he wanted to start doing some dramas. He wanted to start releasing like gritty dramas as an actor, but nobody was interested in putting him in those roles. So he just took two years out and he didn't take any role. He didn't take any role at all. And eventually Hollywood came around and said, okay, we'll give you this role. We just want you back. So he did a couple of dramatic roles after years of doing rom-coms and his first two or three roles really caught the public's imagination and they did really, really well. So he had a run of like two or three films that were just nailing it at the box office. So he was doing an interview during this run of successful films. And this is where we pick up the interview and I'll let McConaughey take it from here. Anyway, I've been on a roll after a two year hiatus from working at all. Um, and only doing rom-coms. I've been on a roll of these dramatic roles that sort of were make, they were kind of puncturing the lexicon. They were kind of, oh, wow, hey, that's a really good performance. That's an interesting choice. And I'm talking with this interview one day, and he's like, you know, you're just, you're just on this roll. You just got these, these string of movies going. It's like, wow, what, what, what is it? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I hear you. I'm on a roll. Well, between that interview and my next interview, I started thinking, you know, I am a kind of on a roll. I mean, this kind of role, this, 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 this thing needs a campaign name. It needs an album cover. It needs a, it needs a bumper sticker. It needs a lyric. It needs a title. And so I'm in the next interview and this interview says the same thing. He says, you know, kind of, you're just on a roll of these great films and these great performances. I don't know. I mean, I've never seen, it's kind of different. I've never seen anything like it. You kind of roll. And I say to him, I said, yeah, you know, I was talking to uh, another interviewer earlier today and he was saying the same thing and he called it a reconnaissance. And the interviewer goes, reconnaissance, wow, that's great. Do you like that? I'm like, hey, I mean, it sounds cool to me. Reconnaissance comes off the lips pretty easy. Sounds lyrical, fun to say, feels good. Yeah, I dig it. He's like, reconnaissance, great. Do you think that'll stick? I go, I don't know. Well, it's stuck. <laughs> now, your wife had a, that was the only thing in the book your wife had a slight issue with, wasn't it? She still goes like, oh, I don't know if you should have added that. She felt like it could come across as arrogant. I thought it was really funny um, and because it's factual. And maybe it was arrogant or whatever it was. I was a self-marketeering and I gave, gave what I was on a title and gave it a name and people ran with it. And I was like, it is kind of a cool name. Yeah, no, I think it's a very cool name. And also, I know that you took it to my good friend, Rich <laughs> I love that story so much. I don't know if you've fallen asleep, but I love that story. McConaughey's like he made it up himself. And this, was, this wasn't this was like an ambitious 
desperate actor just trying to get his feet under the table of Hollywood. This was an established guy. By this point, he'd released some huge films, right? Some huge rom-coms. But he's like, you can never have too much hype. And he's creating his own shit. And I just, I I love that anecdote. Really, I genuinely loved it. And I just wanted to share it with you because I think it's comforting to us artists who feel awkward, like, sending a tweet. (laughs) Sending a tweet. And... You know, I was listening to that and I was thinking, okay, if he's willing to share that, what can I share on the podcast this week that I've done in the past? And I was like, well, well, I don't know if anybody knows that you do your own PR and publicity. Like any, most, I would say the percentage of news features or radio interviews or newspaper features that I've been in ever since you've discovered me, however you've discovered me, I would say a minimum, an absolute minimum of 90% of those I orchestrated by reaching out to the press on my own behalf. 90%. And in fact, the bench, I don't know if you remember this, when the bench came out, there were those kind of interview, like they're called press junkets. You know, like when there's a new film coming out, it's usually like this black room and there's, hang on a minute, one sec. I'm back. I had to go and speak to a human. Excuse me about that. Uh, Where was I? So I was discussing when I released the bench and I was talking to you about, you know, when movies come out, there's those standard formats, dark room, star of the film, interviewer, entertainment reporter, whatever, talking to them. I figured out when I was releasing the bench, like, why should that be the sole preserve of famous known celebrities like why can't i as an unknown entity have my own they're called press junkets basically press junkets so you'll get tom cruise in a room usually in a really fancy hotel for like eight hours he'll book out that room him and his team and it'll just be one entertainment writer after the next just coming in and talking to him i don't know how familiar you guys are with the concept of press junkets but that's how they work typically stars and celebrities hate them because they get asked the same thing about 50 times across eight hours and it drives them insane, but that's how I promote shit nowadays. So I thought, well, there's no reason you can't have that same aesthetic for yours. Like, you're a nobody, mate. <laughs> you, you're not sufficiently known to have a press junket, but there's no reason you can't still have press junkets and get those interviews on entertainment platforms. So when I had that idea, I quite liked it. So I just booked out a studio. I reached out to a load of entertainment websites and say, if I deliver you, like, interview content would you put it on your website and i'll do everything like i'll hire people to ask me the questions and i'll just send you the full video and you can just get some free traffic to your website and they were all unanimously yeah why not and there was something very comforting and enjoyable about that entire process so then i had to reach out to a load of like i don't know i don't know how i've never told you this before to be honest but i guess i've never had the reason to so i reached out to a load of aspiring journalists in my home city which you guys will know is in Sheffield. So I just reached out to a load of journalism students that were studying journalism at the local universities, obviously. And I just found them all on Twitter, said, my name's CK, I make films. I'm about to release a new series. I'm looking for some talented, ambitious journalists to watch the series before they go out. And if you like it, you can come and meet me at this studio and ask me a load of questions, but I don't want to know what the questions are. Because I wasn't going to be that, 
I wasn't going to be that disingenuous that I even said, here are the questions to ask me, please. Question one, oh my God, CK, how come you're so talented? Question two, oh my God, CK, will you please have my babies? Like I wasn't going to go that far. So I said to them, watch the series, then come to the studio and just ask me whatever you want. But I don't want to know what you're going to ask me because the interview had to be a genuine one, right? Even though I was pulling all the strings and organising and paying for the studio and all that shit. (laughs) So I don't, have any embarrassment shame or self-loathing about that none whatsoever like what's the big deal like nothing about that was disingenuous it was a real interview with real aspiring journalism and I was like well I'm giving them something for their show reel anyway so like everybody wins in this the entertainment platform gets a free bit of content gets some free traffic like everybody wins and the PR guy and me loved loved that entire exercise because nobody lost I had great content to promote the series for like weeks on end. The entertainment website, free traffic, the journalism students, free content of them being interviewed in a professional studio. It was filmed beautifully by my mate, Jimmy. Thanks, mate, by the way. Everybody won. But this is my point. As an independent creative, I just think we have to be a little bit imaginative and not feel awkward. And, you know, 50... You know, I would say 73% of me is an artist and a creator, but there's always that 27% of me is a publicist. It's always working away in the background. How can I get eyeballs on my art? How can I get traction and momentum behind this project? And I fucking love it. I don't care. And it's these are the things that I talk about in my book. So if you've not subscribed to my mailing list for the exclusive updates on said book, then please visit ckgolding.com, click on the contact tab, pop your email address in there, join my mailing list. It'd be a joy to have you there. The book, in my eyes, will be released September 2021, but who knows? I might suddenly get a raft of clients wanting me to write scripts, so maybe 2023. (laughs) Cheers. Um, If any creatives are listening to this, how do you feel about the admission I just gave regarding how I promoted the bench via those press junket interviews. I think there was four or five that I recorded and I recently put a new one up on my website. How do you feel about that? Do you think that, does that sound odd, weird, unique, self, um, not unique, um, distasteful, I guess is a probably a better word. Does it seem self-marketeering as McConaughey said, or does that just make total sense? And yeah, why the hell wouldn't you? I'd love to know that the answer to that question. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily care whether you find it odd, but I would genuinely. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. That's not true. I am interested because I don't know. I, like I said, I've just always got that PR hat on, and I don't know if it's just weird of me to say that, but it's all out there now, anyway. So moving forward, just be aware that usually it's me or, um. Yeah, it's usually just me doing, doing the um, doing the hype work. Right. Okay. Let's move on to my final talking point: men who cry. Now, I've mentioned many, many times during this podcast series my respect, admiration, and mild crush on Joe Rogan, the world's biggest podcaster, comedian, and former mixed martial artist, and. I was listening to one of it. Well, I was watching one of his podcast clips on YouTube today, and I was stunned 
when he started crying. Let me tell you why I started crying, because on the podcast, he was interviewing a guy called Josh Dubin. And Josh is a lawyer and campaigner for wrongly convicted human beings. And in this interview, he's talking about a guy called Clemente Aguirre Jarkin, who I've never heard of before. Let me just give you a little bit of a backstory into this guy. This is this is like a quick three-paragraph background into Clemente Aguirre Jarkin. So, on the morning of June 17th, 2004, 47-year-old Cheryl Williams and 68-year-old Carol Berries were found stabbed to death in their home in Alamonte Springs, Florida. Cheryl Williams had been stabbed 129 times and bled to death. Her body was found blocking the front door. Berries, who was partially paralysed after suffering a stroke, was on the living room floor next to her wheelchair. She had been stabbed twice. Samantha Williams, who was a daughter of Cheryl Williams and the granddaughter of Carol, said she had a strong suspicion or a gut feeling that the attacker was 24-year-old Clemente Aguirre Jaquin, who lived with the two who lived with his two roommates two doors down the road. Aguirre Jaquin worked at a restaurant where he washed dishes and prepped food. He had entered the US illegally after fleeing from his native Honduras, where narcotics traffickers tried to force him to become a member of their gang. So that's a very abridged backstory. Now, you'll notice that I mentioned someone called Samantha Williams in this synopsis, who was the daughter of Cheryl, who was stabbed 129 times, and the granddaughter of Carol, who was stabbed twice, both dead. Now, it turned out, I think it was around two decades later, that Samantha was the person who killed her mum and her grandmom, and her medical records proved that she had some she had some condition which I can't remember what it was called she had like an explosive temper and when she went into one of her rages she was just demonic and uncontrollable so this Clemente guy went to prison because he was basically a sitting duck who came to the US albeit illegally but he was escaping some horrible horrible things in his home in Honduras so that's why I came to the US in the first place he was basically sitting duck he didn't even speak English he only learned English during his time I think it was 20 years on death row right so this guy that I'm going to play for you next was the lawyer that battled for his freedom and eventually successfully got him freed so he's telling Joe the story and Joe who I just mentioned is a former mixed martial artist stand-up comedian the biggest podcast in the world he's a huge chunk of muscle man right he's hearing this story of this guy that was wrongly convicted and he just breaks down joe on the podcast just breaks down out of the blue starts crying and i was stunned now before i tell you why i was stunned i'm just going to play the clip when joe breaks down for you because it's quite a remarkable thing to listen to have a listen to this so it's so hard to hear these stories man because you just imagine yourself did I get to you on that? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a beautiful guy too, Joe. I Imagine mean, sure. Imagine some guy who comes to America 
you know, and you know, you meet, you know, you get me going. You meet this guy, and here's the crazy part: I was called. Oh, he got me. Uh, it's fucking crazy. Just, How about Joe? I'll tell you what I had to go through to get it. I'm not patting myself on the back. Watch this. So here's the thing, guys, and just again to reiterate, that was Joe, the presenter of the podcast, crying, and also Josh the lawyer telling him the story they're both breaking down you know what it's like when someone laughs you start laughing and i guess the reverse is true when someone has a genuine outpour of emotion like that that's somewhat unexpected it's gonna get you going as well so both of these big burly guys start crying and i was watching it and i was like fuck like it was like a, a shiver just ran down my spine and it was just so unexpected um but equally it wasn't unexpected because joe is quite sensitive in his defense usually but i've never seen him break down like that so just seeing it was like holy christ like if i loved this guy before now i just want to touch him a bit now <laughs> all right i won't go that far but my admiration respect and just love of joe rogan just soared at that point and I was like, imagine not giving two fucks and being that secure, that confident in your own skin that you're not, that if I feel like there's a certain attachment to your emotions that elicits just break, just crying like that and not giving two shits and being unapologetic about it. And I just genuinely, genuinely find that so admirable, but equally nothing to salute because why shouldn't he break down and cry like that you know what i mean it's just i don't know it was a very bizarre situation i find myself in and it was just a very moving thing to watch and before i forget to tell you because i think i often forget to mention where half of the shit i reference in his podcast is so that matthew mcconaughey interview for uh, from earlier the podcast is called how to wow with chris evans type that in matthew mcconaughey and the the interview will come up this is a 20-minute clip called The Emotional Story of Clemente. Just put that in. Joe Rogan, The Emotional Story of Clemente, spelled C-L-E-M-E-N-T-E, into YouTube, and you'll find it. It's a 20-minute, 17-second clip, and it was just exquisite. Just listening to it again, just now when I played it to you here, it was like, oh my God, like, what, what absolute icons these guys are. But unfortunately my joy was short-lived because instantly having that level of respect and admiration for joe and josh i was like so my question for you then ck is what the fuck's your problem like why are you incapable <laughs> because i just because i remember my mate my mate johnny who's one of my three besties he always says like mate i love a good cry like if I'm watching a film with Sarah, his wife, and it merits it, I'll have, I'll have a good cry and I'll embrace it and I'll soak it up and I'll lean into it. I love it. Um, and I'm good. Good. I'm glad. But I, I, I was thinking to myself when I was watching Joe and Josh crying, like, when was the last time you had a cry? And I couldn't even remember. But then I did remember I came, the closest I came was earlier on this year. I've also mentioned this in previous podcasts. One of my favorite shows of all time is The Practice, Illegal illegal show that spanned i think it was 2000 and, hang on 1995 to 2003 or something like that and i mentioned it really early on into this podcast written by one of my favorite tv producers on earth david e kelly who also created element beale which is probably the best drama comedy ever released but anyway not important 
the practice, there was one episode that almost made me cry earlier on this year. But I remember thinking, don't cry, dude. But I don't know why. Because it, it was such a beautiful scene um, that I actually felt some waterworks emerging, but I soon quelled them. But you're you're now listening to me saying this, thinking, well, what did you quell them for? Guess what? I have no fucking clue. Genuinely have no clue. I wish I could articulate it, because for a guy who's normally reasonably eloquent, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. And that's what concerns me. <laughs> to be brutally honest with you, that is what concerns me. Because I can guarantee it's not because I... Maybe, maybe it is. I was going to say it's not because I think there's anything wrong with men crying, because I don't. I never have. Maybe I just think there's something wrong with me crying. But that in of itself is as worrying as if I thought there was something wrong with men crying. Because I just don't. So why can't I? I don't know. That's my question for you. And if you're a dude, I'd love to know what your relationship with with emotional displays is. Whether it's full on crying or whether it's not. Whether it's just reaching out to a mate and saying I feel shit at the moment. Because I'm not good at doing that either. But I'm trying to get better, right? So I never planned on asking that actually. But that is my question. How are you with your emotional how emotionally open are you as a dude? And of course, this isn't exclusively, this isn't at all a gender thing. So you might be a woman who has great difficulty with emotional openness as well. And if you are, I demand you tell me about it because that is traditionally not the norm, is it? Traditionally, women are certainly perceived to be more emotionally accessible. So if you are a woman listening to this and you're like, fuck that, I keep my shit well and truly in my purse. (laughs) If you're that person thinking, I ain't telling no one shit, not only do I want to hear from you, I want us to go out for a beer (laughs) because like you're one of the rare ones. And I'm not saying that that's preferable, by the way, but it is rare and I like rare. You know, I enjoy rare. I'm all about booking the trend. So if you're a woman that's like, I ain't telling my friends shit. (laughs) Then we must talk. But equally, if you're thinking, nah, I'm an open book, then I want to hear from you too, but there'll be no drinks. (laughs) So yeah, I'd be really keen to know where you sit on the emotional openness spectrum because watching that Joe Rogan clip today made me think the next time you watch something that moves you emotionally I might just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lean into that shit I tried to get my mate Johnny to leave me a to leave me an audio note explaining the benefits of letting it all out because he's very he's very he's very good at that stuff Johnny he's very good at you know what is emotionally beneficial to us as humans so if he says leaning into a cry helps him out then i suspect there is some merit to that so i sent him a message before recording this saying can you leave me a message telling me why you cry and he didn't so then i had a cry and then i realized yeah that's bollocks but um he hasn't yet i don't even know if he's seen the whatsapp message let me see if he's ready and he's just ignored me because he's 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 no he's not apparently no it's not on blue text i don't think he's seen it yet anyway that's that episode 43 done short one but you were pre-warned so homework 
for this week is really just that. Where do you sit on the emotional openness scale? 10 is everybody knows when I feel like utter dog shit. Everybody knows. Even people that don't give two shits. I tell the shop assistants that I'm feeling rough. I tell the taxi driver that I'm feeling rough. I will tell anyone that will listen. And zero is, fuck that. No, thank you. Nobody knows. And I don't think that's preferable, but where do I sit on that scale? I would sit somewhere between... I would sit somewhere probably between 2 and 2.5. I can't, I can't even edge near 3. And I say that with no degree of pride. <clears throat> but I do think I should probably do some self-work and figure out why that is, actually. But um, I genuinely don't know. I genuinely don't know. I, I, maybe maybe counselling is required. I truly don't know. But I welcome you to... Um, I welcome you to um send me a message and let me know how you feel about emotional displays of emotion does that make sense i don't know i don't know i, I feel i feel like I, I i don't know i just feel like i sound like i'm about to break down <laughs> but i assure you i'm not because apparently i'm not allowed <laughs> let's chat next week have a good one see you in a bit